1: to help resolve their ED. We are back with another episode of the Erectile Dysfunction Radio podcast. Today we are joined by Dr. Joy Noble. Dr. Noble is a pelvic floor therapist who works with all types of people to resolve sexual function challenges. She has specific expertise in helping people address erection and ejaculatory issues. Dr. Noble runs a private practice called Pelvic Physical Therapy and Wellness in Baltimore, Maryland. Dr. Noble, thank you very much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm super excited.
1: So today we want to focus on the role of the pelvic floor in both the erection and the ejaculatory processes. So to get us started, can you give uh, myself and the listeners uh, an overview um, in layman's terms of what the pelvic floor is?
0: Yeah, that's great. Great place to start. So the pelvic floor is a group of muscles that kind of create this like support hammock or sling at the bottom of our pelvis um, and really just hold everything up. So bladder, bowel, any kind of reproductive organs, our abdominal contents, our uh, GI tract and everything kind of sits there between the diaphragm as the ceiling, the pelvic floor as the bottom. Um, and its roles, major function roles are to give us think control. So it's not leak when we don't need to let anything out. Um, to suppress the urge and then to give us some core stability and some just general support of the um, abdomen in general. So super important set of muscles. Uh, really, anyone who pees, poops, or has intimacy as part of their lifestyle
1: needs their pelvic floor to function appropriately. So it sounds like it's a pretty <laughs> pretty important area of the body. Is it? Is it only muscle or are there any other uh, parts, bones, tendons, nerves? Are there any other pieces that are in the mix?
0: Yeah. The pelvic floor, we think of mostly muscles. There are some tendons um, components in there. Uh, a lot of the pelvic floor kind of starts at the pubic bone or the front of our pelvis and then it attaches to the tailbone or the back. Uh, so, we're thinking of it more as a functional structure. It is the pelvis, it's the sacrum or the bottom of the spine, the, the tailbone, or the coccyx there. Um, and then we have to definitely consider like our abdominal musculature attaching down at the front that's super important because the pelvic floor muscles and the abdominal muscles are best friends um, and then we also have some uh, ligaments sacred tubers and sacrospinous in particular the only reason it's important is because the pudendal nerve which innervates our pelvic floor runs through that area so if those ligaments are impacted a pudendal nerve can be impacted which has then impacted the entire pelvic floor so we think of it as more of just out those muscles themselves, but there is a lot to consider, um, when like diagnosing and treating any kind of issue here.
1: Okay. And, and generally speaking is, um, like pelvic floor therapy, is that focused on the muscles predominantly?
0: No, it's, it's focused everywhere. It's head to toe. Um, and it's, it's honestly the best treatment you can get is multidisciplinary, uh, you know, any pelvic PT that thinks they can fix a patient's issue on their own, I think is mistaken. Uh, you know, our pelvic floor holds a lot. It holds a lot of tension. It holds a lot of trauma. It can hold a lot of stress. And so we need mental health therapy. We need physical therapy. The spine's so important. So I'll tend to reach out to chiropractors to be on the team. Um, Acupuncture is important, nutrition and wellness. So there's, it's such a big component there that we have to look past the muscles. But in the PT world, Uh, We're looking at bones, joints, muscles, nerves. I mean, the nerves are so important. Um, Hypersensitivity can create problems. Decreased sensitivity can create problems. Then we're really looking at why are we hypersensitive? Why are we decreased sensitivity when it comes to the nerves themselves? Because that's what gives us sensation, kind of our ability to know that someone's scratching you or a bug's running across your arm. It also is what um, makes the muscles move and do their job, which we need for erection and ejaculation.
1: So speaking of erection, how exactly does the pelvic floor play a role in erections? And what might be going wrong um, with the pelvic floor? What might be problematic, I should rather say, in the pelvic floor that could lead to erection challenges?
0: Yeah. So the pelvic floor musculature, um, it wraps in like a figure eight. It's going to wrap around the genital area and wrap around the anus. And so you know when we're thinking of penis owners, it's wrapping around the shaft of the penis, the base of the penis and goes about the first one third of the shaft is where those muscles kind of end. And so that figure eight or that wrapping around that, its job is to constrict penis fills with blood. Those muscles constrict, putting pressure on the veins. the blood can't come back out, right? Because our body is constantly pulling blood into something with an artery and out of something with a vein. Well, with an erection, we don't want that. We want it to stay there as long as we need it there. Um, So we're actually, Musculature is constricting or kind of pressing against those veins to keep
1: the blood where we want it. So the pelvic the pelvic floor is involved in that constriction process. Is that correct? Correct. Yep.
0: Yeah, and so we get to the dysfunction side, and we either have pelvic floor muscles that are too tight, and so they actually aren't letting the blood come in, or they're too weak, in which they're not able to create that compression um, to keep the erection there, keep the blood in the penis.
1: Okay, so if it's too tight, blood flow can't get in there in the first place. So a man would be experiencing a a challenge um, gaining an erection. And if the the muscles are not constricting or they're they're too loose, then there's going to be a a challenge with maintaining an erection.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Perfect summary there.
1: Okay. Now it's often really difficult to determine what exactly is causing erectile dysfunction. Um, you know i'm, I'm you know, I work on the on the 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 brain, the mental, the psychological, the relational side, which has you know layers of complexity, and then there are multiple systems involved. Is there a telltale sign, or are there specific signs that indicate this is a pelvic floor issue?
0: Yeah, good question. Um. My experience has shown that patients who typically have other other symptoms on top of that erectile dysfunction tend to point towards a pelvic floor dysfunction. Meaning, uh, they may have leakage, urinary leakage that's coming along with it. Um, maybe it's some fecal incontinence. I get this a lot with my runners that they don't necessarily even have to run long miles or, or high mileage over their course of their run, but they are definitely having some fecal incontinence with that run. Um, So that starts to tell me those muscles because it's a figure eight. So when the front contracts, the back's contracting with it, Um, they might be really weak and they're not able to sustain that endurance needed for the run. Um, Mm -hmm. So I see that. I also see things like urgency. They are having to do the best on the lot, frequency. So some of those other pelvic floor functions start to red flag. me. I'm like, okay, this sounds more pelvic floor than cardiac or a uh, libido mismatch where it's creating some tension in a relationship um so that's where we start low back pain hip pain some of the stuff that's a little bit removed from it if we're looking at some of those issues i'll typically screen if i'm seeing someone for a low back hip issue i i always want to make sure we're we having any issues with urination with bowels are we constipated are we leaking and are we having any pelvic pain or dysfunction issues any kind of things like that um but it's super important to screen it out, right? Because there are, like you said, so many systems involved. We have to make sure we've got their medical screens too to ensure it's not multiple systems playing a role in their, their sure.
1: symptoms. But that, it sounds like, if I'm hearing you correctly, there, there could be indicators in that other um, related pelvic floor symptoms that may be showing up in conjunction with the erectile challenge. That may be an indicator. You can't fully rule it out based on that but that may be a good indicator that the pelvic floor has a role. Yep, exactly. Is there any clear indicator that the pelvic floor is not involved in the erection problem?
0: Yeah, yeah. When we do our examination, if, we, if we're if we palpating the pelvic floor musculature, so touching the different muscles from the outside first to see if there are any tenderness, um, is there any tension? So I can feel the tension. The pel- patient can feel the tenderness. They tell me, Ooh, that's pretty, I don't like that feeling. It feels like a bruise or... Nope, feels pretty fine. If I can't reproduce any discomfort um, and then if we we do an internal examination, which in this case would be, you know, inserting a finger into the rectal canal to assess those muscles, everything feels normal. It's able to relax. It's able to contract. It's working functionally and nothing is painful. uh, Then that to me is a big sign of, you know, your pelvic floor has voluntary and involuntary control, contracting and relaxing, probably not a pelvic floor issue. So then we have to start looking outside of those muscles and figuring out okay who else can
1: we pull into this team to figure out the problem. Okay, which which makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Now, should in your opinion, should every person who's experiencing erectile dysfunction see a pelvic floor specialist or a pelvic floor therapist, um, or are there you know cases, situations, and whatnot where you know you may recommend or would suggest? Um, it wouldn't even make sense to come see a pelvic floor therapist. I
0: don't know that I can say that it doesn't make sense to ever see a pelvic floor therapist. Um, I think our field's definitely changing and we're trying to kind of branch into some different things. We love to be part of the wellness in general, so a little more proactive. You get a physical, we'd love to be the ones that can look at, hey, what's the pelvic floor like? How is that physically doing? Uh, But that being said, I do... Think there are patients that it would be a waste of time and money to see a pelvic floor physical therapist uh, if they aren't having any other signs that the pelvic floor might be involved, like the incontinence, the urgency, the frequency, unless they've ruled everything else out. Like if they've gone through all the other motions and they're just like, "I'm kind of grasping at straws. I'm not sure what else to do." We will 100% take a look, see if we can offer any advice, um, but I I won't be so bold to say if I think anyone and everyone needs to see a pelvic PT we're here
1: to do something for you
0: there are plenty of people who have perfectly fine pelvic floors
1: yeah, that's that's good to know and I know that that you know for many of our listeners there is a really like an overwhelming experience when they are going through a a dysfunction like like ed um, of where to turn to what could be going on and uh, having that ability to at least create a hierarchy obviously seeing their doctor but um, you know, as, as, uh, you know, patients advocate for their own, you know, approach, it does put a extra pressure on the patient in terms of where to turn to next. So knowing that they could, you know, potentially eliminate or know when it's most indicated is, is good to know. Now, there is a lot that I hear about the Kegel and, um, I, I, think it'd be helpful for our listeners to understand what role the Kegel has in, um, pelvic floor physical therapy in general, and in particular around um, erections.
0: Yeah. Kegels. Oh, Kegels. Um, so they, they're good and they've got a bad rap, which is totally warranted. The problem is there's so much information and so much misinformation, I think, across all fields. And so patients are hearing, just do Kegels, do your Kegels. Well, your pelvic floor is over tense; so They're hypertonic. Um, those pelvic floors don't need to do a Kegel. So a Kegel is just a pelvic floor squeeze and lift. Um, you know, it could be worded anywhere from trying to stop the flow of urine, trying to hold back gas, um, for any of our penis owners out there, kind of the idea of like trying to pull your, your testicles up into the body. Um, that's what a Kegel is. If You've ever heard the term. So if muscles are too tight, tightening them, isn't going to make it better. It's going to make it worse. And when we're looking at things that might be involving like nerves that are going through those muscles, it actually may make their symptoms worse. So I get a lot of patients who come to me after having seen a PT and they're like, they just gave me Kegels and everything got worse. Well, yeah, because your muscles need the opposite where it needs to be relaxed. So that's a big part of our job is to help do an assessment, decide, are you having this problem because your muscles are too weak and we need to actually work on function and work on utilizing them appropriately mm-hmm. to strengthen? Or are they actually really tight? We need to work on stretches, breathing, um, you know, meditation techniques, guided meditation, things that can help relax the pelvic floor. But in the case of weakness, they're super important. I mean, being able to contract that pelvic floor, especially around the shaft of a penis, like is super, super necessary. Um, and it's a functional thing too. We we do other. It's not just a the kegel. There's lots of ways to make the pelvic floor engage.
1: Yeah, so we'll come to some of those in a moment. i just be curious here. So the Kegel is meant to strengthen or tighten some of these looser muscles, correct?
0: Correct. Just like a bicep curl.
1: Would that correlate to improved constriction once blood has reached the penis? Absolutely. Yep. So again, theoretically, and I want to be clear, anybody who's in this position needs to be assessed and evaluated, but just yes. hypothetically speaking- if a man can maintain an erection but is struggling a little bit more on the gaining side, a Kegel may not be indicated because a further tightening is only going to make the make matters worse potentially.
0: Correct, exactly.
1: Okay, that's that's really important to know because I think a lot of men who are uh, coming forward around ED um, are initially not able to gain that erection. And like one of the quick tips that is out there is make sure you're doing your Kegels every day. Um, And it sounds like that could actually make things a whole lot worse.
0: Yeah. If it's because they're just, they're so tight that they can't actually get the blood in there, it'll definitely make it worse. How, how are these
1: muscles loosened?
0: Uh, Lots of ways. We can work on stretching. We can work on deep breathing. So from the stretching perspective, we have to think of direct stretch and indirect stretch meaning we can all stretch a hamstring. We can all stretch a calf muscle. That kind of intuitively makes sense. That's a direct stretch. The pelvic floor doesn't have the the luxury of being able to take two bones and separate them or take a muscle and and lengthen it because of the way it fills that pelvic bowl. So direct stretches typically are hands-on. And I love to teach my patients self-stretching, self-release, because it's so important to have support and go-to things anytime you know you can only see a provider how often well you've got a lot of hours left in your week and i think it's so necessary to know that you're not kind of floundering the rest of the time so we can directly stretch with hands-on techniques and then transfer that to home we can also do indirect stretches you know the glutes the uh, hamstrings the adductor the inner thigh muscles the abdominals those are all important because they all share fascial connections in that pelvic floor region anyway so if those are tight, that can help tighten the pelvic floor. So we want to make sure we're doing that as well.
1: And uh like well, loo- loosening like even just the the um I don't want to call them supportive to the pelvic floor because they have their own roles, but they do have a they are or a secondary supportive role to the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Working on those other pieces can help to loosen or take the pressure off of the pelvic floor muscles.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then breathing, thinking of again that that whole The diaphragm is the top and the pelvic floor is the bottom. When we breathe in, our pelvic floor has to relax. Otherwise, that pressure has to go somewhere. So breathing techniques can be really good. Getting in a deep squat, doing some yoga poses are super helpful ways to decrease a tight pelvic floor. Now,
1: Dr. Noble, what is the role of the pelvic floor in the ejaculatory process?
0: So with ejaculation, we're thinking of, you know, we have got to that point. We are about ready to go and we need something to help propel the ejaculate forward so the pelvic floor muscles really come in place there um so they're going to you know contract and relax in a repetitive motion to get us to that point of being able to um push the ejaculate out of the body is their
1: their big goal there okay now could a pelvic floor issue cause rapid ejaculation, and what about delayed ejaculation? We tend to think of these as opposite ends of the spectrum, and if it can be impactful in both, can, can you share with us how this works?
0: Yeah, so when we're thinking of, and we're thinking of this more in a like, a, we'll go premature, like. Ejaculating sooner than we want to, and then it taking too long to ejaculate. Is that kind of the question we're, we're yes. wanting to answer here? Okay. So for the, it happening too soon, um, that becomes a sensory thing. It's it's a, um, our sensitivity is heightened. And so we're working through those different phases um, faster than we're wanting to. So we hit our arousal, our plateau, our orgasm, our um, refractory periods too quick. So we, it sounds, I know this is going to sound a little questionable i promise it's not um we teach our patients to edge like as as interesting as that sounds or it's like really like that's the skill therapy yeah we have to and we do this because you are stimulating and then you are decreasing the stimulation you're stimulating and decreasing the stimulation so you're building that endurance um to link it to something a little bit more concrete that makes sense it's like running if you're learning to run and they'll just go out and run three miles you may run and then you're gonna walk endurance your job. endurance training Exactly, exactly.
1: Um, On the edging side, does that have a direct impact on something in the pelvic floor, or is this more in the general wellness space?
0: So that would be the nerves. So we're thinking of our nerves have to be stimulated for this to be happening. That's a big part of that sensory arousal. That is what we're actually doing. And we do this all over the body. If a nerve is too sensitive anywhere, head to toe, we will do a desensitization program. And in this case, the world has called it etching.
1: Yeah, but you're saying that there's a there's a medical application for edging um outside Absolutely. Of, there's people engage in that for, for pleasurable reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like- and then and then moving to the other end of that spectrum on the um, delayed or an ejaculation. Um mm-hmm. what is the um role of the pelvic floor in that?
0: So we're looking at a few things. We're definitely all little bit strength. And figure out, okay, is there a way that we can improve strength? Because maybe we're getting our polyforce force strength and endurance isn't there. And so we're getting right to the edge. We just don't have the strength and or endurance to push over the edge. That's one half. The other half comes back to that sensitivity to where we might be um, so desensitized. To where you know it takes so much stimulation. So much hard stimulation. So much fast stimulation. That may not be reproductive Um, with certain partners or certain uh, approaches to to ejaculation. So we have to work on, okay, what has got us to this point where we're just not able to even get there because it's taking too long? And then see, can we decrease any stimulation um, if there's anything that's happening? You know, whether it's solo play that you can do it solo, but you can't do it partnered. Okay, well, maybe we need to decrease some solo, build up some sensitivity. Then when partnered, we're actually able to make it there. Um, but it's not just that. Again, we also look at that, the weakness component too, and make sure we have pelvic force strength.
1: Okay. Now, Dr. You mentioned the, the multidisciplinary approach that you advocate for. It's something that also I'm, I'm an advocate for. I think anybody working in the, um, you know, sexual infu- uh, function and sexual wellness space, um, is, you know, oftentimes of that mindset because it is so, uh, multifactorial. Um to that, and I'm wondering, how common is it for you to see um, patients who are experiencing a either a psychogenic or a psychological distress stemming from one of these conditions?
0: Oh, definitely. Very. I think it happens with most of our patients um, where there's a lot happening. It's kind of that multifactorial that it's not just one, it's a lot. And I mean, it's a big impact, especially we're just thinking of, you know, if this is a desire we have or we're just not performing and it's also, is it, am I letting myself down? Am I letting a partner down? Like, you know, how is this impacting me as a whole human? Um, and that, I mean, we tie a lot up into our pelvic floors and ensure our intimacy if that's part of our life. So when it's not working right, I think it definitely gets to a lot of our patients.
1: Okay. And I, I you know, I've been in physical therapy. I've never been in pelvic floor physical therapy, but I've been in physical therapy and I know that there is a fair amount of opportunity to be in conversation um, with one's therapist, how do you talk um, with patients, in particular the ones who seemed more preoccupied or distressed uh, by their conditions um, about uh, what they're going through, uh, hopefully to put their minds somewhat at ease?
0: I think it starts with making sure that it's heard um, and realize that what they're dealing with happening it's not just in their head because i feel like so many of our patients come in and are like i just think i'm making it up at this point or i'm just imagining it and so we try to reaffirm that no they they're coming just for a real reason and even if part of it is psychological that can be a very real component psychological impacts can manifest as physical dysfunctions and so that they don't have to be mutually exclusive but they're both very valid and can be addressed um I also love to tell other patients' stories anonymously, Keep my HIPAA compliance here. Um, And I'm just, you know, I like to let them know, like I was working with a guy yesterday with the same, I mean, I would have sworn if it weren't him, it were you, you have such similar presentations and he's done a lot better. I try to give him some anecdotal information, like, you know, other patients have gotten better with this um, and try to just normalize it, just know they're not alone. There's people going through it. There's people that are getting better um, and just give them a lot of feedback and get their feedback on we tried this, how are you feeling, what's working, what's not working, um, and being ready to
1: pivot at any moment. Hey, okay. uh, that, that's, yeah, really, really, um, you know, powerful stuff. If, Doctor, if I had to ask you to give us a, you know, final word to our listeners, um, what might that be?
0: Don't be afraid to ask for help. There's help out there and, you know, everyone's welcome, you know. if If you need help finding someone please reach out to me even if you're not in my area i'm happy to connect you with someone who can help um but i think that's it that it's these things are common they're not normal you don't have to live with them And we're you know like both the bots who are here to provide as much support and resources we possibly can so just don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to take the first step
1: yeah they're they're common issues and they are addressable um from Mm -hmm. so many different fronts i really really appreciate that message Um, Dr. Noble, we're going to um, add your contact info to the description of this episode. Is that okay with you? Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us, and we look forward to having you on in a future episode.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com.
1: That's erectioniq.com.